turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. This is the last worship service of this decade. So I'm excited about today. And I believe that over the next several weeks, we're going to um, journey through some of the final chapters of Philippians, actually. And I believe it's a kind of a perfect summary of where we've been traveling and what we've been learning. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Y'all have a great Christmas. You guys look pretty good for being in your PJs. And um, all the PJs, the, the, I wear one pair of PJs and uh, pajamas. And um, I have wash them every night because I only have one pair. And they have a lot of holes in them. And so I thought I would save you the pain of having to wonder if I'm destitute and homeless. Um, I just like, I like holy things. <laughs> that was bad. Philippians chapter 3, um, we're going to look through at one uh, chapter, or verses 1 through 14. Um, as I kind of examine my life over the last maybe 10 years, I am, the longer I live, the more that I want my life to count for something. I don't know if you can um, relate to that, but none of us want to just kind of go through life and live and die and our life to not have counted for something. In this particular verse we're about to read, the Apostle Paul is reflecting much the same way that I have been lately. And three times he talks about his life counting for something. And three times he uses the word count. And so um, there are some people that when you reflect on your life, you, we tend to evaluate and weigh out our life based on the things that we've accomplished what we've done, what we've said, accumulation of relationships, those type of things. And all of us really want to feel like we've made our life count for something. The people, and one of the things I've known throughout the history of the world, um, particularly biblically, but even in the history of the world, one of the things that is common theme in those that their life has really counted for something is those people that have treasured Christ above all other things. They treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer them. And as easy as that sounds, in theory, in practice, it becomes even more difficult. Because we live in a generation in a world where people are enamored and taken by the things that the world has to offer. But for our life to truly count for something, we must die that he may reign in us. And so the struggle is real for us, particularly even moving out of the Christmas season, as we reflect on all that we've accomplished and all that we've gained, he says that it is your loss that it is your gain. 
They, these people that have that their life counted for something, they treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. So I wrote down this, and this is very simplistic in nature, and this message will be simplistic in nature, but very difficult in practice. The only treasure in life that counts is Christ. So what does it mean to follow Christ? In Philippians, we're about to read, this text summarizes a lot of things the Lord has been teaching me. The one thing that has been on my heart is, I want my life to count. Specifically, I don't want to waste my life. I want my life to count. I want my life to count for my sons, Ashton and Landon. I want my life to count for my wife, Brooke. I want my life to count for this church, for each of you that sit in here. I want my life to count not just for this church, but the city, this city, Pleasant Hill, and the greater city of Kansas City. I don't want to waste my life, and I want to waste the life that God has entrusted to me. And I'm guessing that for many of you, that's the truth that rings home in your hearts. And I believe God wants to raise up men and women in this church who, lives, who live lives for his glory in the world in which you dwell. The word count is going to be mentioned three different times in this text that I'm about to read. And really, this is Paul stepping back and evaluating his life. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. I, I, I wanna, I'm just going to stop there. It says, it says in the very first word, it says, finally, my brethren. He's only halfway through this letter, and he's already doing his closing statement. It's kind of like pastors do when they say, my final point. <laughs> and then he makes 15 more. So just so you know, I get this honestly. All right. I just caught that right now. That was really interesting. Um, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. In some translations it says, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. We are the circumcision. <laughs> Meaning the flesh has to die, the flesh has to be removed, and Christ must reign within us. You are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Guys, there's so much in this. I can't even believe I'm trying to go through 14 verses today. All right. For we are the circumcision. Okay, now verse four. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more confidence I was, and then here, here he goes, he, he gives a list. He's basically saying, if you think you have more confidence in flesh, I can come stand side by side with me and we're going to compare and I'll come out on top. Basically, in the flesh, I'm better than all y'all. So, okay? And so he has not only the, the, the word to back this up, he has the life to back this up, okay? And then he begins to go down through a list he says, um, 
He says, I'm more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I'm blameless, but what things were gained to me, there I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss, all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In the, in the Greek, this is dung, excrement. In the urban dictionary, poop. It's crude. Matter of fact, they thought very long and hard about how to translate this when they translated it because they thought it was pretty offensive. It is offensive. Because all the things in my life that I count as gain, that many people count as gain, is truly just like that. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty bold statement. I count it as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Verse 12, now that I have already, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which were behind me, I reach forward to those things which are ahead of me. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to try to this morning, and you can take notes because I, I have put this in as simplistic form as I can. Over the next several weeks, I want to talk about four characteristics throughout human history of lives that have counted for the glory of God. Characteristic number one that I'm talking about today. People that's lives have counted for the glory of Christ. They treasure Christ above everything this life has to offer. Forgive me, it's just all the fudge and cookies coming out. <clears throat> Paul's addressing a problem that has arisen because of a group of people called Judaizers. So he writes this letter to talk to the Philippian church about a problem, and the problem's name that was given in that day was Judaizers. These were Jewish Christians, or uh, better, I should say, better way, a better way of saying it would be people, Jews, that claim to be Christians. Okay, that's important. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean that it's true, okay? And, um, and so here you have these Judaizers, and what would happen is you had 
the Apostle Paul and the Apostles and, and many people going out, disciples of Jesus going out and evangelizing the world, particularly the Gentile world. Those that were far from Christ did not know him. And at the point that Paul would preach a gospel and Gentiles would come to Christ by the thousands and the hundreds, you had Judaizers that would come in and they would begin to tell people, if you want to be a Christian, here's what you have to do to become a Christian. You have to follow all of these laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to be, and so they began to go down a list of all the things. So it was kind of like the, uh, the traveling crew that came and tried to undermine the work of the apostles. Are you, are you with me today? Many of us know that it is by faith and faith alone that we are saved in Jesus Christ. And, and so this really did, um, in a lot of ways, particularly in commentaries, what it would do is it was hindering the advancement of the gospel. It was not just hindering it numerically, but it was also hindering it in the hearts of those that were trying to receive it. And it was basically perverting the gospel. It was perverting it. And so... Um, Paul begins to address this issue. Jewish Christians or those claiming to be Christians would go a place where the Gentiles were coming to Christ and stir things up. And Paul uses some pretty forceful terms to describe them. Listen to what he calls them. He actually says that these Judaizers were dogs. I think this is particularly ironic because um, the, the Jews would actually refer to the Gentiles as dogs. They were not thought very kindly of. They were thought negatively of. And so you have the Apostle Paul speaking of the Jews, these Judaizers specifically, as dogs. Then he comes to verse 4, and he says, If anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more reason. And he begins to give the list of all the things that he's accomplished in his life. And then in verse 7, he says, whatever was put was to my profit, I consider them lost for the sake of Christ. So I think it is versed, he says, I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, was a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But listen in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, what things were gained to me, these I count as loss for Christ. So he summarizes all the things he's accomplished in his life, and not just the things that he's accomplished in his life, but all the things he was born into in his life. And he says, I count them all as loss. Let's just pause here for a second and let's talk about this. Because many of you take a look at your background, your genealogy, the home you grew up in, and you begin to make comparative statements about your life compared to those that you feel had it better. You look at your parents and you see that somebody was from a home that wasn't broken and you were from a home that was broken. Some of you never have a father presence and some of you look at those that had a father and you're frustrated and Paul is saying, whether good, whether bad, I consider all of that as loss when I think of Christ. Some of you are putting your hope in the wrong thing. Some of you are trying to relive an image of your life that would have made you better. Christ makes you better. Your history will never make you better. 
Are you with me today? And you can go down the line of all the things that you had or did not have. You, you, you were raised up in or were not raised up in. And Paul says, I consider all of it as dung, a big pile of dung. Where do you put your hope? Do you put your hope in what happened to you or did not happen to you? Or do you place your hope in Christ? He said, I treasure Christ more than all things in life. And that's the hope, isn't it? That we would treasure Christ above everything this life has to offer. So he gives a list and says, they'll all come up to one big loss, one big zero. So what we, have, what we are here, what we have here in this list of all these things that Paul has accomplished, and many of you can make your own list of the things you've accomplished and the home you grew up in and the background you grew up in and, and maybe all the things you've done after college and the accomplishments of your life. I, I want to take, if you were to make that list for yourself, we were to reflect the list that Paul makes. These are treasures of the wasted life. Treasures of the wasted life. He said, I consider all that stuff waste. I consider it loss. I consider it rubbish. Can I ask you a question? Are you treasuring the wasted life? Paul tells us they are wasted. I want to talk about five things, these five treasures of the wasted life that I see here in this list. First one, family heritage. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. This was a big deal. This was a big, big deal, not only, not only in your heritage, not only for being recognized for who you are, but also in your social status. He was circumcised, meaning that he was born into a heritage that was recognized as holy and righteous, as chosen. He had a family heritage. The second thing is this. He had social status. Being a Benjamin would, would, was, you were, it was not only were you wealthy, but you were really known for being a Benjamite. His social status. Number three, biblical knowledge. This guy was trained up and he knew the Bible. They meditated on the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. They memorized the Old Testament. We can't even get some people in the church to read the Bible once in their whole life. He had it mem- half of it memorized. You have to understand he knew the word of God. He had a lot of knowledge. There are people to come to church every single Sunday. They have a lot of knowledge. He says, I consider that as dung. Are you with me today? This is important. Stay with me. Don't clock out on me. I'm trying to do some teaching this morning to set up some stuff I'm going to do. I consider it as dunk. Some of you were offended right there because you put so much hope in what you know and very little in who you know. Biblical knowledge. Another category would have been religious activity. He said, I was religious. <laughs> I was, I was, he said, I was zealous for the things of God. Come on. It even drove him to crucify, to, to, to persecute the church over it, the movement of the church. For number five, he said, I had a moral lifestyle. 
he basically said, I lived such a moral life that I, I followed the law to such a degree that I never, I, I, I followed it perfectly. I lived a moral lifestyle. There are a lot of people that come to church. They've come to church. Listen, they grew up going to church. They were at church every Sunday. They, they, had, they got married. They had kids. They bring their kids. There are some of you in here today that bring your kids every week. And I want you to know, just coming in here to church and just going through the motions just because you did it when you were a kid and now you're bringing your kids today, he says, I consider that as rubbish. It is dung. Your attendance to church doesn't make you. It doesn't make your life count for something. Come on now, listen to me. This is, this is offensive. We have, to, we have to listen to what he's saying here. He's being offensive. He's offended. He's, he, what he's doing is he's setting a comparison here, and he's saying what you treasure is not what you should treasure. Are you hearing me? Your, your actions, your motivation, your, the things you do are not what you should treasure. The things you accomplish on with planning this church and moving forward and standing before the people, it's not how good your sermon was. That is not what counts. That's rubbish. If I have to go out on Sunday, and I've gotten better at this, and ask my wife, how was the sermon? Then I treasure something that I shouldn't be treasuring. That's good stuff, man. Well, we should want to do well for God. Well, but you're not doing well for God. You're doing well for you. Not you, because you're not preaching, but me, so we can all amen to that. I got more amens on that, because it wasn't about you. It was about me. All right. So we have these five categories, and I want you to write them down. I want you to think about what category you value. Is it your social status? Is it your, is it your background, your geological background? Is it your knowledge, is it your activity, your religious activity? Is it your moral lifestyle? You know what I discovered about all these things? There's one common thing about all these five things. It's this, they're good things. <laughs> you can have all these things, and your life be counted as loss, it'd be rubbish. Good things. You can, you can do and have all these good things and your life still not count for anything. Here's the question that I'm asking myself. Sean, Sean what have you done and how has your life counted for something? It's not in the church I, churches I've planted. It's not in those things. Those are as rubbish. If these are treasures of the wasted life, listen to me. These are treasures. These five things are treasures of the wasted life. Then what in life actually counts for something? And Paul comes to the end of this group of things and he piles them all together and he says, they are all lost. They are one big zero compared to one thing. What is that one thing? This is the one thing that's not rubbish. This is one thing that will make your life count is the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. No other thing matters. The only treasure of a life that counts is knowing Christ, not people knowing you. 
It is interesting that we live in a generation in a world where everybody wants to be known, but no one wants to know Christ. And in our attempt to be noticed and to be known, we make little of Christ with our life. And it counts for nothing. Sit around the table today at lunch and listen to the conversation and listen how people make much of themselves and little of Christ. Come on now, listen to me today. When was the last time you actually listened to people besides preparing what you're going to say next because you have something to share about you? We don't care about people. What makes you, if you don't care about people, why are you going to pair, if you don't care about people that you can see, why are you going to try to convince me that you care about a God that you can't see? I see how people behave around a table at lunch. We don't care enough about people to actually listen and engage their life. Come on, listen. How many of you have ever sat at a table and, and not really heard anything that was going on because five minutes ago you heard something that sparked something about some, a story that you can tell about you and you haven't been listening for five minutes because you have something to say about you. And you won't listen. And listen, I'm the, me too. And I'm telling you right now, this is how we function in life. The only treasure of life that counts is knowing Christ. And to get to know him, you've got to engage him beyond what you need for you. Jesus Christ is a treasure chest of holy joy. Everything else is lost. It's rubbish. It's dung. Showing up to church, being knowledgeable of the word, serving in the church. There are people that think that counts for something, but it doesn't. That's why in the Bible it says, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Lord, we, do we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, do we not do these things in your name? It says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's a loss. In Christ, we found something worthy, worth losing everything for. In Christ, we have found something worth losing everything for. Everybody turn your Bibles to Matthew 13. That's the wrong direction. Matthew 13, verse 44. says this. Again, talks in here about two parables that we are very familiar with. Two parables that we're familiar with. One is the parable of the hidden treasure and one is the parable of the pearl of great price. In 44, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He found a treasure worth giving everything for. When I felt called into ministry, 
I knew I was called into ministry because I found a treasure worth giving everything I had hoped for, for. I didn't feel qualified to be in pastoral ministry. I didn't want to be in pastoral ministry. It wasn't my plan for my life. I wanted to go work for Disney. You have to understand, I had no desire to be a pastor, but I found a treasure worth getting rid of everything that I had planned, and I gave everything towards the call because of Christ. Then we read the next parable. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Christ is that pearl. I was thinking of, I was thinking of Job in the context of this that everything we have is loss in comparison to the greatness of Christ and knowing Christ our Lord. I was thinking of Job, man, this man lost everything. He lost family members. He lost his health. He was sitting in boils, and everyone around him was dying. His friends were not helping him. His wife definitely was not helping him. And he sat there, and he said, all of this is lost to me. I have one that will stand with me, and, his, and he is Christ my Lord. I was thinking of Moses. There's this one phrase in Exodus. You can go look it up. Moses is beginning to reflect on his days in Egypt with all the riches of the world, with being fed grapes, and all the, the treasure the earth had to offer was right there where he was but he decided to leave it. And as he reflected back, he said this. He said, I counted it disgrace for Christ better. I counted disgrace for Christ better than all the tre treasures of Egypt. Disgrace for Christ's sake was better than all the treasures Egypt had to offer. Who is Christ to you? No, not, not, not whose church to you. Not, not whose your parents' relationship with Christ is to you. Not, not that. Not what's religion to you. Who is Christ to you? Is he a treasure or is he somebody you worship? Is he a treasure or is he a paycheck? Is he a treasure or is he somebody that makes life convenient for? What is he? What is he to you? Philippians 2.25 says this. If we look back right before we pop into this chapter and Paul is talking to the people, verse 25 said, yet I, yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites. Did his parents hate him? It's the worst name ever. Epaphrodites, he is my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was no longer for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost, listen, unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow for his death. 
Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because the work of Christ, he came close to death. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Here is someone, you have to understand this series of events and the way that Paul is writing this out in Philippians, he is reflecting not only on his life, but on the life of all who would make Christ their Lord. Here is a man, Epaphrodites, who is saying, I'm willing to risk everything for Christ, even my life. Even my life. There was this group back in the early church that was called the gamblers. Here in one of the Greek words, when it was describing Epaphrodites, it's actually a 16-letter Greek word, and I can't say it, so I'm not going to say it. But if you want it, I'll put it on Facebook, and I'll, I'll share it to you. But when describing Epaphrodites, there was a Greek word that actually meant gambler. He is a gambler who is risked. That word risk, risk it all for you. That word is actually a literal Greek word, 16 letters long, and it means he's a gambler. He's a risk taker. He throws it all in to see what will happen. There's a, there's a group that actually formulated in the early church based off of this word, particularly this word used by the Apostle Paul. They called themselves the gamblers, the nobodies. The nobodies and the inconsequentials. And what they would do is they would go into places that nobody else would go, the gamblers would. And they would risk it all. They'd go into places where there were diseases that could not be healed. And they would, they would draw near to the beds of those people. And they would pray for them and then lay hands on them and love them in their last moments when even their family wouldn't come for fear of catching the disease and dying. So here they risked it all to be the love of Christ in the most untouched, unlovable, desolate places where no one else will go. Many of them lived and many of them lost their life. But what is a life exactly? It is loss, if not spent pursuing Christ. Come on now. So he knows where to press. Paul says, I press not towards fulfilling this life. I press towards the goal of the high calling to know Christ. Be healed. <laughs> To know Christ above all other things. It's still sitting there. <laughs> Pass the guy a tissue. <laughs> Some of us are sitting here right now and we'll walk out this week and we'll think this. Is there a way for me to have Christ and all these treasures? No. No. There's not. 
Listen to me. There's not. That's why the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And there is only one. There can only be one God of your life. God, help us to realize that it is better to lose our lives than to waste them. Said again, it is better for us to lose our life. Those lists of things. It is better for us to lose those things than to waste our life. There's this missionary in closing. His name was C.T. Studd. How, how would you like to have that for your last name, man? Uh, C.T. Gray doesn't sound very awesome, but if my last name was Stud, we would have a lot of fun with that because I don't count that as loss. <laughs> I would count that as a gain that my last name be Stud. But his name was C.T. Stud. He's one of the greatest missionaries and one of the most controversial missionaries that have ever walked the face of this earth. He did things that no one else thought should be done. He was, he was ridiculed by the church more than he was by the world. He was doubted. He was scoffed at. They wrote letters about him. They made videos about him. They, they, created, they created systems and structures to teach people in school how not to do what C.T. Studd did. They tried to give him counsel. He, he was rich. Dude, I'm talking about loaded, rich. God told him to go to the mission field, but he told him he could not take that money with him. So he gave it to those in need, millions upon millions of dollars he gave away. He goes to China, and he begins to minister in China for 10 years, him and his wife. And he comes back home for a, a sort of sabbatical and then he stays home and begins to figure out where he's going to go next. And he feels a call to India. At this moment, while he's home, his dad dies and he inherits hundreds of millions of dollars in a trust fund. He takes the entire trust fund before he goes to India, where he's going to go for his next mission, and gives it all away. And goes to India. The church is losing their mind. Those that are sending him are like, this is the dumbest thing you could ever do. What are you doing? He goes to India. He stays there 10 years. He comes back home. And he, his wife is not super well. She's well enough to be okay, but not well enough to go to their next place. He feels called to Africa, one of the most unreached places of the earth. He feels called to go. And he was about to gear up to go and his wife fell sick and she decided to stay back and raise funds while he went to Africa. And for 13 more years, they write letters back and forth and she stays in the States and sends him money, raises money and sends money to him. And their letters, listen, uh, see if I can post them. They're the most amazing letters I've ever read. The church loses their mind 
They're telling, in, in 13 years, they saw each other one day. And she sends letters supporting him and telling him that he's accomplishing what he needs to accomplish. And so they begin to write, uh, the church began to write him letters, ridiculing him, criticizing him, calling him just all kinds of names and telling him why he was ridiculous for doing what he, what he, what he was doing. One of the things he responded by, by saying to them was that I count all the things you value as loss compared to the, all the glory that I receive from knowing Christ as my Lord. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? His response in a letter, I pulled a snippet out. He, uh, well, one of, the th- one of my favorite quotes, let me t- you write this down, C.T. Studd. One of my favorite quotes before we read this letter as he enters response to all his haters. He says, some wish to live in a chapel cell with song and bell. I'm going to say it again. Some wish to live in a chapel cell with song and bell. I wish to work in a yard with risk and help. People thought he'd lost his mind. That he was risking too much. He responded with a short letter that says this. Believing that for the delay would be sinful. Believing that further delay would be sinful. Some of God's insignificant nobodies have decided to take the charge. We've decided on some important, significant lines according to God's book. To make a definite attempt to render the evangelism of the world and accomplish that fact. Too long we've been waiting on one another to begin. The time for waiting has passed. The hour of God has struck. And God's holy name, in God's holy name, and into his holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock of the sayings of Christ before the whole world. Before this lukewarm, sleepy, faithless, manby-pamby Christian world that you call good. We would dare to trust our God. We will venture. We will venture all for Him. We will live and we will die for Him and Him alone. And we will do it with His joy unspeakable singing aloud in our hearts. We all, as soon of a thousand times, die trusting in our God, then live life trusting in man. Because we will have the real holiness of God deep in our hearts, not this sickly stuff of talk and dainty words, 
but rather a masculine holiness, one of daring works and relationship with Jesus Christ. He has called, and I have gone, and I am not ashamed. The only treasure in life that counts is Christ. And all these other things are treasures of a wasted life. Oh, that I would live a life that counts. Because I chase to know the exceeding greatness of Christ Jesus, my Lord.